And we're live. Mitzvah Lanicham. We are in part two of Laws of Hanukkah. Oh, dreidel, 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 I made you out of clay. Lots of songs, a lot of joy. But this class is about the details. How to do it right every time. Eight days in a row. So we yesterday we started. We did part one. That's available on the podcast. And now we go to part two. So a question we had yesterday was, is there some regulation on how high, how low the menorah should be? The answer is absolutely yes. And what is that? Well, we're about to read it. This is Halacha 8 in Kitzur Shulchan Aruch, the concise code of Jewish law, which you can find on Chabad.org. Just go to... You can actually Google this if you're listening to this. Laws of Hanukkah, Chabad.org. You'll find it. It's chapter 139 in the concise code of Jewish law. And we are up to number eight, where it talks about the height of the menorah. Here's what it says. It's a mitzvah to place the, the candles, the menorah, from... Three handbreaths above the floor. And we'll talk about what a handbreath is in a moment. But it should be lower than ten tvachim. So between three and ten handbreaths. How much is a handbreath? Luckily, we've got a footnote right here. See glossary. <laughs> that, that helps a lot. As far as I recall, a tefach is approximately... 3.3 inches. So if you're going to say the tefach is 3.3 inches, so a 3 tefachim is going to be 9.9 inches approximately. So it's got to be at least 9.9 inches above the ground. The reason for that is if you're going to go lower than that, you're too close to the ground within 3 tefachim. A tefach is the Hebrew word for handbreadth. So if you're within three tfachim of the ground. It's as if you're on the ground. You're so close to the ground, it's as if you're on the ground. And then once you get above ten, then you don't want to go above ten tfachim. So above 30 inches approximately. If you put him higher than ten tfachim, yatsa, you still discharged your duty, your obligation. But if you put it over 20 ama, which is 20 cubits, and a cubit is one and a half feet, approximately. So if you put it 30 feet high, you did not fulfill your obligation. Why? Because when you're higher than 20 cubits, the eye, it's out of the range of vision. The eye does not... Uh, sholet literally means to rule to have control the eye does not have control there above 20 amot and the whole point of the menorah is that people should see it if you live on a second floor you can put him in the window window even though it is higher than 10 tvachim but if the window is higher than 20 cubits, 
from the ground of the public domain. The people in the public are not going to see it. Then it's better to put it near the door within your home so that at least the people within the home are going to see it. And you're going to have that um, benefit of putting it in the doorway. As we learned yesterday, you put it on the left side so that you're surrounded by mitzvahs, the menorah on the right, and the, I'm sorry, the menorah on the left and the mezuzah on the right. So if you're not going to be getting the benefit of putting it out there for the public in your window because you're too high up and nobody's going to see it because people are on their iPhones or walking down the street looking at their iPhone. They're not going to see your menorah up in 20 amos, 20 cubits high. So you might as well get the benefit of putting it in the doorway and the, the benefit of being surrounded by mitzvot. And we'll keep going. If you have any questions, comments, feel free to interrupt, raise your hand, or send us a message in the chat, and hopefully I'll see it. Tess, Haneiros, you, Bishura, Achas, Bishove. Ooh. If you go on Amazon, or you go online, you search for menorahs, you are going to find menorahs that are outside the rules of these regulations. And they should have a warning on them. This menorah does not meet halachic regulations in the state of California. You, they have to be in one row equal. So you've got these menorahs that are in a circle, or they're going up and down, or they've got all kinds of artistic, modern art. They're not kosher. They're no good. It shouldn't be that one is high and one is low. There should be some kind of a separation, some kind of a, um, some space between one candle and another, or one lamp and another. So that the flame does not get too close. This flame should not get so close to the next one. It's going to appear as if it is a torch instead of small individual flames as we learned yesterday you can't even have two wicks woven together creating too much of a of a of a of a flame too big of a flame if we're talking about wax candles then you have to make a separation between them for another reason which is they shouldn't heat each other up. And all of a sudden you got your wax dripping away and the candles are ruined. Let's say you filled a plate with oil and you put uh, wicks all around it. If you put a, a vessel over it, so each one can be considered one, one lamp or a separate light. But if you didn't put a vessel over it, it won't be even considered one lamp because it appears as if as a torch. Let's say you have a lamp that has two mouths, two openings, from which you are uh, placing kin, kin, uh, wicks and lighting. 
you shouldn't have two people lighting from this one lamp with the two with the two wicks even on the first night because then there's no way to tell how many candles were lit for that night is it the first night and two people have lit from this thing or is it the second night and one person lit from it in other words it should be obvious from the menorah and its lights what night of Hanukkah it is ah in the footnote we have from the Mishnah Barura Mishnah Barura is written by the Chofetz Chaim and he says as follows this what we just said that you can't have two people lighting from one lamp that has two two wicks that's only when you only have two but in our menorahs which have eight branches you could use two people could use it simultaneously let's say it's the first night let the first person light on the other all the way on the right of the menorah and the other person could light all the way on the left and you could do that up until which night i think the um the sixth night three on each side and you'll have one in the middle to show that this is what's happening all right by the way just want to make a comment the reason that we're not learning the laws of Hanukkah from the Alter Rebbe's Shulchan Arach as we did with the other laws that we learned in the past Rosh Hashanah and so forth is because there is no laws of Hanukkah in the Alter Rebbe's Shulchan Arach the Alter Rebbe is the founder of Chabad and of course, we would rather study from the Alter Rebbe, but we can't because we don't have his laws of Hanukkah. A lot of his writings were burnt in a fire, including laws of Hanukkah. Yud, number 10. Zman Hadlakosa. Now we get to the timing. When exactly are you supposed to light the Menorah? The answer is, Miyad as soon as the stars come out, you shouldn't delay it. Once the time has come for you to light the menorah, you shouldn't get busy with anything else. Even to study Torah, which is the highest thing you can do, but you shouldn't do it when it's time to light the menorah because what could happen? You start studying Torah, you get so excited, and you start delving into it further and further, you forget to light the menorah. The only exception is if you haven't yet prayed the evening prayer, then you first pray, and then you light the menorah. Now before you light the menorah, gather everybody in your home together, in order to publicize the matter, make it a big publicity event. Yesterday we had this question, how much oil do you have to put in? Or if it's wax, wax candle, how much? How long does this candle have to be able to last? You have to have enough oil in there that would last for a half an hour, at least for a half an hour. In the footnote, he quotes from the Mishnah Baruch. He says, if you don't have enough oil that would burn for half an hour, you should light them, but without saying the bracha. So rather, would that mean the candle uh, with wax should burn a half an hour also? Is it the same thing? Exactly. Exactly. So sometimes the candles, they'll say how long they last. 
for this reason. Now, we started off the halacha saying that you're supposed to light it as soon as the stars come out, which these days is approximately 5.15-ish. Might even get earlier, who knows? But if you didn't light it then, it's not like you missed the boat. You can still light it. Until when? And you can still say a blessing too. And by the, when we say you could say a blessing, that means you're actually doing the mitzvah. Because you can only say the blessing if you're doing the mitzvah properly. You could do it as long as there are people who are awake in the home. Besides you, obviously. Once the people of the home are asleep and you woke up and said, Oh, we forgot to light the menorah. Or you came in from a long trip. Suleika Persuminisa, there's no longer public publicization of the miracle. In other words, the publicizing of the miracle has to be beyond you, the one who's lighting the menorah. The Yadlik And you should light the menorah without a blessing. Or you can drop or accidentally knock over a large piece of furniture which causes people to wake up. Just joking, you can't do that. If you're not going to have time to light at night, Ah, even though we said that the time to light the menorah begins when the stars come out, but if you know that you won't be able to light it at night, let's say you've got to go uh, do something. Visit your grandmother in the hospital. So you can go and light the menorah early. From the time that is known as Plag Amincha, Plag Amincha is approximately an hour or so before um, sunset. And from that time and on, every day is different. You have to go check the calendar. You have to type into Google Halachic Times and Chabad Daroga will come up right away. Or go to maizmanim.com. You'll find Plag Amincha which is one hour and a quarter before Tzayta Kochavim. It's an hour and a quarter, approximately, before the stars come out. Shazmanit means it's not an actual hour of 60 minutes, but it's the hour that is one-twelfth of a day. So an hour and a half, meaning an hour and a half, uh, one-twelfth and a half of the day, that before the, the stars come out, that from then you are allowed to already light the menorah. In the days of Hanukkah, where the days are short, because we're in the winter. So if the day is really only 10 hours um, by the clock, then Plagamincha will be will be one hour and two minutes. And a half, two and a half minutes before the stars come out. Ah, this is something I forgot to mention yesterday when they said, how long does the, does the, does the menorah have to be lit? They said 30 minutes. But really the question is, when are you lighting it? If you light it after after the stars come out, then it only has to last for half an hour. But if you're lighting it an hour before that, then it has to light for an hour and a half because it has to remain lit one half hour past 
the stars coming out. If you didn't, if you did, if you didn't light them in such a fashion, you did not fulfill the mitzvah. Okay. Any questions, comments? Well, I just thought if you're lighting them early, like you said, where it might be an hour and a half, and let's say the candles only go half hour or forty-five minutes, are you allowed to then put other candles in and quickly light them, or does that not count? The, the initial lighting has to have the capacity, the potential to remain lit for half an hour at past Tzach You can't add later. It has to be from the start, have that capacity. Now, if it later goes out, you still fulfilled your obligation. But it has to have that potential from when you lit it. Rabbi Menorah, it is uh, referred to that uh, uh, Kohanim used to lead, and it has like six? Seven. Seven, seven. And the Chanukiah, it is eight. Right. But I call the Chanukiah a menorah, because that's what my yes. parents called it, and what they taught me in school. The Menorah. <laughs> The menorah of gold. They told me about the menorah. They, we'd never heard of a Hanukkiah. Hanukkiah is a modern Israeli word. Doesn't exist prior to 1921. I made that number out of my hat. I don't know when Hanukkiah was introduced, but I would suspect sometime after 1871. Not before. I could be wrong, but that's my guess. So I apologize for using the terminology of my youth. But yes, it is correct. If you want to say the correct modern Hebrew word for the object that we use to light <laughs> candles on Hanukkah, it is a Hanukkiah. And menorah... Wolf to an Israeli will refer to the menorah in the temple, which, as you said correctly, Naria was different. It had seven branches, not eight, like the menorah of Hanukkah. A menorah basically means a lamp, right? I think in in, mod in modern Hebrew, menorah can also mean a, a lamp or something. Yeah, lamp. Okay. I mean, there is a beautiful uh, Hasidic insight here, once we're talking about the seven and the eight, is that the, the light of the, of the menorah in the temple, as great as it was, was not as great as the light of the Hanukkiah, of the, of the Hanukkah menorah. And that's represented partially in the fact that one is seven and one is eight. Seven represents the completion of nature, Seven is the number associated with nature. And eight represents, is the number that represents infinity. And so the light of the, of the menorah of Hanukkah is in a way greater than the light of the menorah of the Beit HaMikdash of the Holy Temple, which was only seven branches. Because there, there was being lit in a holy place. And also during a time of light, before it got dark, it was lit 
and the menorah of Hanukkah is lit outside of the temple. It's, it's, it's lit in exile. It's lit in a time physical darkness, of actual darkness, from when the stars come out. That means it's dark outside, but also at a time of spiritual darkness. And so it, it contains a very special power, a very special connection to the future, to the time of Mashiach, which is also associated with the number eight, the harp of, of, of uh, the Beit HaMikdash will have eight strings in the times of Mashiach. It's a little taste of the times of Mashiach of, of infinity. I was, I was just thinking of something. I don't know what it means that you gave me. That uh, the double helix in the DNA, which was found by Kirk and Watson, is, uh, looks like the number eight of infinity, actually. The I've heard. Helix. I've heard that, yeah. yes. That eight, the, yeah, the number. Exactly. Okay. There's been a lot of discussion around the menorah itself. And what I'm inferring here is that the mitzvah is from lighting the wicks, whether or not you have a menorah. They talk about the right. pot or all of the wicks. So you don't, at least what I'm reading here into this, uh, to be honest, I, I read ahead of as well. But, but You're cheating. You don't need a menorah at all. You That's right. You just need the candles. That is right. So, you could just take tea lights, which burn for like two hours, lay them right. in a row. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You can light them, right? That's right. 100%. That's a great point. Um, in fact, yeah, last night, Hillel mentioned that the way his father lit the menorah back in Minsk, potatoes. he took potatoes. So he didn't have a menorah, and he lit with potatoes. So that's, you're right, 100%. It is the custom. It's customary. So I think at this point... It's proper to use a menorah, although in yeshiva, every you know, people were always trying to come up with original menorahs, so they would use beer bottles. You know, that's yeshiva students. Oh, I'm going to make a beer bottle menorah. <laughs> so, so if you don't use a menorah, if you, if you just use tea lights, yeah. the menorah has, you know, eight branches. You put in okay, three, three candles and you light them. And you only have three candles because you have position uh, place for eight. If you're using tea lights, should you lay out eight candles, but only like three of them? Or do you just put down three candles and you light them and that's okay? It's a good question. I, I'm not sure, but I would say you don't have to set out eight. You can just put out three. So day one, you just stick down one candle, you light it, whether or not, like you don't have a menorah or you're traveling or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm not sure. I think now I'm thinking about it, since it is customary to have a menorah, that is the custom, so maybe it is better to have, you know, set out eight. Uh, but not, yeah, you know, let's say you were using glass, little shot glasses, and you are putting oil in it. So why not put out eight? You have a menorah of sorts, but theoretically, yes, you're right. You don't have to. You could just put out whatever the night is. It's a good, very good point, yes. The menorah doesn't really have a significance of its own apart from the custom, you know, it's haloed by custom, but it doesn't really have a halachic significance. It's a very good point. Whereas the menorah in the Beit HaMikdash did have a halachic significance. It had to be built in a certain way. It had to be, you know, chiseled out of one piece of gold. It has to be a certain size and so forth. With the, with the menorah of Hanukkah, it's really just, uh, you know, a way to do it in a beautiful way. Because as we learned in the first class, 
you really don't, the, by the strict halacha in the original uh, manifestation of the halacha, you didn't have to light more than one every night. The original codification or institution was you lit one candle every night. It was a extra hidur, it was an extra beautification of the mitzvah that you went in this progression. It's called mehadrin. And there's the, within that, that uh, going the extra mile, there was, there's the machloket, the famous debate between Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel, whether you progress upward or you progress downward. Start with eight and go down according to Beit Shammai or do as we do, which is Beit Hillel. But in the, in the original, so the, it goes back pretty, pretty long that we've, been, we've been, been doing it differently. But in the initial manifestation of the halacha it was just one per night. So certainly there was no need for an eight branch of menorah. Okay, let's keep rolling. 11. So how do we do it? How is it actually done according to our custom? On the first night, you light the light facing your right hand. So this is something that I always get, that I got confused on uh, when we did the, the public menorah lighting at the drive-in at the, at the golf course. I was standing behind the menorah. So everybody's facing the menorah, and I'm behind the menorah. So I'm lighting it from right to left. But everyone's like, wait, he's starting from the left. But for me, it was the right. So I did it wrong. It should have been on the right to left where everybody's looking at it. So when you're looking at your menorah, you should be starting on your right. On the second night, you should add another one. Towards the left. Every single night. You keep adding to the left. The one that you added. You light that one first, as I mentioned yesterday. And you then go to, towards your right. You start with the left one and you move rightward. Okay, so I just want to get it right. So you're putting them in right to left, but you're lighting them left to right. Exactly. Yeah. All right, one more time. One more time. <laughs> you set them up right to left. You light them left to right. Yeah. You go right to left, one, one, one. And, and the, way to, the way to remember it is that everything in Judaism, you always start with the right. Right is chesed. So you start off with setting it up with the right, and then you go left to right. Right. That's not food. Got it. Left. <laughs> exactly. Twelve. On the first night of So the person lighting the menorah, before lighting, he says three blessings. What are the three? Lehadlik, lehadlik ner. And the third, Shechayanu. But on the other nights, you do not say Shechayanu. 
After you say the blessings, you light one candle. Now, this next thing is going to be a bit controversial. I'll say the way he says it. While you're lighting the other candles, you already start reciting which is a short prayer that is recited after the candles are lit. Chabad custom is a little bit different. We light them all, and then we start singing the Haneir Salalu. Halalu. These candles and so forth. Some people have the custom to say Ma'osor. So I guess it's the same thing. Okay, that's also a debatable thing. According to Chabad custom, everybody... Says Omar. Another the question is a convert. Does a convert have to say that God did miracles for our forefathers? Technically, the convert's forefathers was not there. The um, custom is that they say our forefathers. Let's say God forbid a person is in a state of aninut, and an onen is a person in in a state of of. Uh, Acute mourning, in other words, a person who has experienced a loss of an immediate relative and the burial has not yet taken place. So the difference between a mourner, which is an avel, and onen, which is an acute mourning. Acute mourning means that the burial has not yet occurred. And the onen, the onen cannot say any blessings doesn't put on tefillin. It's a, a very odd time. Because it's supposed to be focused on the burial. To the exclusion of all else. So what happens with the onen if Hanukkah comes along? If there's somebody else to light the menorah, the other person should light it and say the blessings. And the onen, the person in acute mourning, should recite amen to the blessing that the other person said. But if... There is no other person. He's the only one around. Yad He should light the menorah without saying the blessings. Yud Gimel 13. Kaimalon hadloka oisa mitzvah. So there's a big debate in the Talmud, as I mentioned yesterday. The Talmud is in Tractate Shabbat in chapter 2, where it talks about these laws, contrasting the wicks and oil of, of uh, the Shabbat lamp and the wicks and oil of Hanukkah. And so over there, there's a big debate, is hadloko is a mitzvah? Is it the lighting, the act of lighting that makes the mitzvah, or is hanocha is a mitzvah, or is it the placing down that makes the mitzvah? Let's see, what's the difference? Peter, shahadloka, he mitzvah, the act of lighting is the mitzvah. So this goes to what uh, Bill was asking before, if it go, if you put in only for, if you, you put in a ten minute candle, but every time before it goes out, you light another one, so you technically got your half an hour. That's no good. Why? Because it's the lighting that makes the mitzvah, and so at the time of the lighting, there has to be enough wick, wax, or oil for it to light for the right time, and it has to be in the right place. It has to be in the right place. So remember, we we uh, we said before you can't light it on the floor, 
or within three hamburgers of the floor. So let's say I light it on, with, on the floor, but then I pick it up and I put it on the, on the low table that I have ready for my menorah. Is that kosher? No, because the lighting is the mitzvah, so it's got to be lit in the proper place and with the proper amount of fuel. La puki to exclude. So, the example I gave, or if you lit it 20 cubits high, which we said is also not kosher, and then you took it down and you put it in the right place, no good. Also, if you only had a little bit of oil and then you lit it, it wouldn't have lasted for half an hour, and you said, no problem, I'll pour a little more oil into this lamp. No good. It doesn't help. It doesn't help. Similarly, let's say you put the menorah in a window and the, the wind is blowing and it's probably going to get extinguished. You have not fulfilled the mitzvah. You have to go and light it again in a proper place. Not this time, you should, since you already said a blessing, don't say another blessing. So that so that's you know makes it all very strict. Oh, at the time of lighting, I've got to be. But there's a flip side to it, which is more, gives you a leniency. The leniency is that if you set it up properly, and by no fault of your own, the candles went out. You already did the mitzvah. Because the lighting is the mitzvah. And as long as at the time of lighting you did everything right. The outcome. Not your problem. Like life itself, right? Can't control the outcome. You control what you do. God has to take care of the rest. Nevertheless, even though you're not obligated to relight it. Because you already did the mitzvah. The custom is relight it. Now he addresses a question. We know that the lamps, each of the lights, they have a holiness to them. You're not allowed to go over, God forbid, to the Hanukkah menorah and light a cigarette. Or even to light a candle to go and read by. These are holy lights, and that's what we're saying in the Haneris Alolo, that these are sacred. They're consecrated. The question is, since both the lights are sacred. Can I light one from the other? So let's say I got a long wick. I lit one one of the of the eight. Then now to light the second one, I'm going to take my long wick of the second wick, and I'm going to move it over to the first one that's already lit. Is that kosher? That's called lahadlik ner miner to light one candle from another. The custom is to be strict and not to do that. Which means, which, which implies that technically there's some debate whether you're allowed to or not, and clearly doing so is not 100% forbidden. However, the custom is to be machmer, to be stringent. At Lamadlikan, rather, you should light it from the shamish. We have the shamash. That's the one you should light it from, or from some other candle, not the candles of the menorah. It's another thing that we talked about, you know, that it's got to be in its rightful place. So you don't pick up the candle and, and, you know, light it from somewhere. You leave it where it is and you light it with the shamash.
Any questions, comments? Ooh. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we have gone through another wonderful session of Hanukkah laws.